Hello, hello, and welcome to episode number four. We're talking about Thor and some more. And I'll stop now. For sure. Yep, this is episode number four, guys, of Assembling for Christmas. Welcome to Just One More Opinion, and let's get started. Alrighty then. Let's get started talking about Thor, shall we? And to begin, let's talk cast and characters. We have newcomer Chris Hemsworth taking on the lead role as the God of Thunder. Academy Award winners Natalie Portman and Anthony Hopkins playing Jane Foster and Odin respectively. And also the highlight of the movie, in my opinion, Tom Hiddleston playing the God of Mischief, Loki. I quite believe that Idelson was a revelation in this movie and gave us one of the best characters in the MCU. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, we also have other side characters such as Frigga, Thor's mother, his allies, Lady Sif, Hogan, Fandral, Volstagg and Heimdall, as well as Dr. Eric Selvig and Darcy Lewis. And I don't mean to criticize Cat Denning's acting skills. But Darcy is one of the most annoying characters of the MCU. And uh, I I don't know. In my opinion, she's completely unnecessary for the plot of the Thor movies. I'm sorry, but that's just how I feel. And I needed to say this. I just needed to say this out loud. Um, but Selvig, on the other hand, is greatly portrayed by Stellan Skarsgård. Who can play serious, he can play funny, cautious and curious at the switch of a scene. What a great character, but let's go back to the main ones, shall we? So Hemsworth played an arrogant Thor at the beginning and a humble one at the end. In the middle he pulled off being a funny fish out of water, a worthy brawler and a selfish little boy wishing to be a king. And I think as the years progressed, Hemsworth perfected his acting skills, he evolved into an A-list actor and his God of Thunder developed as well for the better and I say this because you can see how much different uh, of a Thor this one is in comparison to the Thor, for example, that we have in Ragnarok or even Infinity War and especially in Endgame I mean, Hemsworth was able to add depth to this character with each movie and it's just great to see him and the character branch out as they did. However, for me, the fan favorite, Loki, was easily my favorite character from this movie. And he, he was the one character in this film with depth from the beginning. Loki is conflicted, he's jealous of his brother, he believes himself to be an, an other Someone who is put aside, used, and always in second place. And the only thing he wants is to be good enough to his father, Odin, and an equal to Thor. So as a character study, we are able to see layer on top of layer on top of layer with Loki. And some might even empathize with him, as I do. For he is the first MCU villain with actual character, actual depth. So it was great that he was also the first ba big bad to have a recurring role in the franchise. By the way, the, um, the character looks so different. 
here from from his appearance in 2012's Avengers, which was just one year after this, which is surprising. And again, same with Hemsworth's, Hemsworth's uh, Thor, actually. Um, moving on, Hopkins as Odin is also brilliant. This Hall of Famer of an actor just knows how to be this magnificent, all-powerful, all-father, especially when the movie was given this a spectacular Shakespearean vibe to it by the director Kenneth Branagh, known for his Shakespeare's uh, for the his Shakespeare's adaptation adaptations. Um, I have to say, adding that sort of template to a superhero movie was a fantastic way to just make it distinct from the rest of the of the of the MCU. So props to that decision. Natalie Portman as scientist Jane Foster gave us a nice dynamic between her and Thor. Portman just knows how to play this genius of a character and also the woman being wooed by a god so well. It's a shame her appearances were just but a few. Until 2022 when she returns to the MCU to play the mighty version of Thor. So freaking excited for that movie. I cannot wait. Anyway, just let's just move on to the actual story. So, while you could describe Thor as a fish-out-of-water story, or a Shakespearean-esque tale of grand superheroes and gods among men, I would say that at its core, it's a story about worthiness. <laughs> okay, okay, that may be a bit corny with Mjolnir and the Asgardian magic and having to be worthy of the power, but hear me for a second. Because what I mean to say is the worthiness of being good enough. Good enough for a king. Good enough for a hammer. Good enough to be called a son and an equal. And the movie presents these two sets, these two tests of character, one for Thor and one for Loki. Let me break that down. In the first battle in Jotunheim, at the start of the, the film, Thor is a completely reckless warrior seeking bloodshed. He's arrogant top to bottom and as careless as one can be. And I grant you that the fight was cool, especially when he flew through the giant Jotun beast. Really awesome. But the scene's purpose was to show us and Odin how unfit Thor was to be a king. It was a danger to the peace that As Asgard had held for many years, so Odin decided to cast him out. And if you are not focused, you may well think, um, how rash of a decision, right? But Odin knew what he was doing. He was granting his son, who had had everything since, since he was born, a he was giving him this chance to find himself, to find humility and altruism, so that this test of character could transform an arrogant little boy into the rightful heir to the Asgardian throne. And that's what happened. On the other side of the coin, we have Loki, who, like I said, always felt ignored, invisible, and unlike a son to Odin, who had favored Thor at all times. So a plan was made by him, a possibly evil plot, to get rid of his brother and give himself a chance to prove himself. But what Loki had not predicted was his heritage being revealed right at the start of the movie. 
And that changed things, created even bigger conflict within himself and illuminated him. He finally understood why he was being set aside by his father Odin, for he was not his real father. And ah, that confrontation scene between him and Odin was brilliant. Hiddleston's acting was unbelievable. You, you could hear and feel the pain in his speech, the stuttering and confusion of his words. Loki faced the crossroads at that moment when his adoptive father entered a much-needed Odin sleep and left the throne of Asgard without a king, so Loki stepped up. And more plotting occurred, but I'll continue with that bit, with that in a bit. With that bit in a bit. <laughs> but right now I just wanted, uh, just wanted to mention a few things. First of all, I'd like to add that although the fish-out-of-water comedy style is an often used cinema trope, in this movie it did gift us with some hilarious moments such as breaking coffee mugs and requesting a horse at a pet store. <laughs> uh, plus it made sense with the story. Thor was stranded on this realm, Earth, Midgard, without his powers or his trusty hammer, so all the jokes and cheap-ish comedy was well used, even if, even if at times a bit overused. Um, but I thought it still made sense within the, the story of the movie. Another, another thing I'd like to mention, which is still bizarre to me until this day, is Hawkeye's debut. I mean, why? Why do that in a five-minute scene at night with no real character arc, just as a top S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, easily missed if you're not paying attention, as I wasn't the first and second time I watched it. Oh, and fun fact, this was the only, I believe, the only MCU movie I didn't watch at the cinema, only because A, I didn't know it was MCU, B, I didn't know much about the character of Thor, and C, I probably didn't even hear about the release. I was 12, so... Anyway, so yeah, weird that the they added Akai to this movie um, with the only purpose of setting him up for the Avengers film. I don't know. Yeah, just... That's just my opinion. And lastly, before I go back to the main plot with Loki and Thor, I got to talk about the... Um, the Destroyer. I mm, I didn't really like this character, if you can call him that. It's just a weapon of mass destruction, really. Only purpose to destroy and all. And his fight with Thor, um, much like Iron Man's final fight with Whiplash, it was over too soon, and Thor just... just destroyed the Destroyer like he was an old washing machine. You, you could say it was to give time to Thor's confrontation with Loki, but still, a little longer and more complex fight scene couldn't hurt. Oh well. Uh, but okay, going back to Loki, who really just wanted to prove himself worthy to Odin. He wanted to be worthy, like I said in the beginning, to Odin. Even his final plan to destroy Jotunheim was sort of um, um, a symbolism was a, a metaphor that revealed his desire to deny his true nature and embrace his Asgardian adoption. 
even if he spent years being the odd one in the family. When Luffy, his actual father, another antagonist who wasn't in the movie that much, when he enters Odin's chambers and is prepared to kill the old father, telling him his death will come at the end of Luffy, and Loki just shoots him in the back and says, and your death came by the son of Odin. Ooh! Ooh, my, oh, my days, chills. What a moment, oh my god. What a twisty twist. <laughs> and character development, of course. Um, that scene just, it just further emphasized Loki's deep need to be loved and valued by his dad, Odin. Um, and that is why his final scene, the Bifrost Bridge, is my favorite moment in Thor. And Loki tells Odin he did it all for him, for Asgard, and Odin just denies him that. It's heartbreaking and even infuriating because as much of a villainous role he played in the destruction of Jotunheim and banishment of Thor, all he, all he ever wanted was to be a, f a hero in his father's eyes. But his test of character bore no fruits, while Thor learned to be truly altruistic when he destroyed the Bifrost Bridge, therefore deeming... Dimming? Therefore reducing, let's just say reducing, the possibilities of reuniting with his new love, Jane. <sighs> wow, what a story. You know, I gotta be honest, I never had Thor high up on my ranking, but this viewing and analysis might have put it well in the middle, actually. We'll see after I finish this marathon. Um, because, yeah, there was a lot of nice little themes going on. Um, a nice character arc for Loki as well. Yeah. Oh, and the post credit scene revealing that Loki was actually alive and planning something else with his strange blue blue cube, which now we know all about. But that's for tomorrow. For today, we had Thor. And I'll give this one an 8 out of 10 as a movie in general and a 7 as an MCU film only because, like I said before, there are a lot of great films in the MCU. This one was good enough. It gave us a good character study with its main villain and set up future movie plots, which is so expected of Marvel and yet so good. So it is a seven out of 10, but it's a high seven, you know, it's a high seven. And yeah, that was Thor. Okay, guys, we have reached the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed. Tomorrow will be exploring a new character, a new hero, the first Avenger, Captain America, also released in 2011, and the last movie before we have our first ever team-up movie. I'm excited for that. I'm really excited to rewatch The Avengers. Until then, and until tomorrow, uh, stay safe. I appreciate you, if you're listening, obviously. If you're listening, you, you know I appreciate you. This is becoming silly now. I'll just stop, and I'll see you guys tomorrow. Goodbye! <laughs>